Oh my goodness, good morning. So good to be with you, both online but also here. I look around and I just see so many friends that I've missed so dearly. I want to hug you. <laughs> and, uh, I'm resisting that temptation. Thank you for joining and resisting that temptation. But, but even just to, to see you, to know that there's, there's been this physical distance and yet our hearts, our hearts are one. And even just looking into your eyes and, and realizing we've been through so much and yet we're not out of it yet. <laughs> we've got a ways to go. And, and every day brings a new, a new challenge. And yet part of the reason God calls us together here is to sing things about there's nothing that our God can't do. Amen. And yet each of us carries a burden into this room of things where we're going, God, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And it hurts so much when I pray and, and it feels like you don't hear me. And there's just, I, I, I sense, I look at each of you and I go, each of us has a story that we bring into this time and, and, it's, and it's so difficult. And yet the reason this is an important time for us is to center around the reality of the highs and the lows, the mountains and the valleys of our journey with Christ. And, and what does it look like to be a normal Christian is the question that we even bring to this. Titled this sermon, just the normal Christian life, because we're going to see that it's, it's not always rainbows and unicorns, is it? And sometimes we have to face those challenges boldly, with humility. And yet we need what only the Word of God can provide. I was convicted of that when I heard a story recently about James Patterson. You may know James Patterson, prolific author, a whole lot of novels come to mind. I've, I've actually not read any confession. <laughs> My wife has. And I hear they're really good. I've seen a movie or two that has been put into a film form from a, from a novel. But, but James, I didn't know he was a church-going guy. And so he was sharing this story recently about how he'd been going to church. But, but during the sermon, he would begin to tune out a bit and, and, you know, doodle on his paper and maybe write a few notes about maybe his next novel idea or even, even a list of what chores I have to do when I get home. And, and he's just so distracted. But he would file out of the church afterwards and, and go by the pastor and say, great sermon, pastor, and head on home. And uh, eventually he got convicted of that and went, I'm lying. That's not a good thing to do. And, and so he confessed to the pastor for some accountability. And, and what he found in that was that, um, that the more he submitted to the word, the, the more it did not return void. And that's the promise God gives us today, is that as I share, as we inhabit his word, he makes a difference in our lives, regardless of our circumstances and what we bring into this place or the places that we come from. We are dependent upon him for life and for hope. We can talk a lot about that. Let's begin by praying, though. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, you are faithful to use servants throughout this church to create environments where we all are called into your presence and encouraged and blessed to be a blessing to others. So visit us now in the way that only you can bring hope and perspective for all of what life throws our way. Lord, promise, continue to show us your promise that, that you'll get us home and that the journey is worth it. 
We offer this time to you and trust that you are with us and for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we do bring to this message, to this chapter, the 15th chapter of John, some pretty powerful and heavy stuff. We bring needs, and especially those kind of needs in this time and this day and age where we're grasping for normalcy. Is anybody with me? Are you looking for, give me anything normal again? And, and instead, what we find in our culture is, is fear and anger and divisiveness. And, and so when Pastor, Pastor Gus said, okay, Kevin, I want you to do this, this message, and I looked at it, and, and oh, I get to tell everybody about how Jesus says the world's going to hate us. I thought, oh man, and I listened to his message last week and went, you get to preach about love and the Bible and prayer, and I get to talk about persecution and hate. What's up? And, and I found myself a little envious, but, but as, as I looked at this passage, I realized this whole chapter speaks to something that really meets our need here and now. We are in some tough circumstances, and yet there's a key to this. It's not just about bearing fruit, as we'll see, but it's also about about facing persecution, and it's also about living in hope because of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at this passage uh, to introduce this, we're going to review a little bit of the first part of John 15, because you really can't understand the rest of it without this. But then we'll move into that persecution and then the, the real hope that Jesus provides. But if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to John chapter 15. You'll see right at the beginning where Pastor Gus introduced last week, Jesus saying, I am the true vine. Now, this this is the seventh of Jesus' I Am statements throughout the Gospel of John. It shows us a lot about who he is and the relationship that he wants to have with us, his followers. And so he's saying, I'm the true vine. You can depend upon me. I'm not going to fail you. I'll be with you. And as we go into this, we'll see how much being connected to him makes a difference. If you jump down to verse 4, let's go to verse 4. Jesus says, remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. There's the relationship part. Jesus saying, I am the vine. You, my followers, are, are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, if, if you missed it, go back through that and look at how many times does he say the word remain? It's like four or five just in this verse and a half. And if you look at the whole chapter, you realize it's over and over again. Anytime Jesus has said something like that, that many times, circle it, underline it, go, what's he talking about? Remain. Now, I'm old school, so I sort of like the translations that used to say abide. Abide. Remain. Love what Eugene Peterson said about this. He, <laughs> he called it, he called it um, live in me as he translated the message. Jesus is saying, live in me. Make your home among me. Make your home in me. Abide. Now, we see that that's so important because it's not just about bearing fruit. This whole chapter is about the results of abiding. Uh, The end of verse 5 makes it very clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hear that. That's no thing. 
We think we have something to offer this world, but we have nothing to offer this world apart from Jesus. We must remain connected. So the point of this passage, the point of what we're going to talk about today, is that abiding, that union with Jesus. That's the theological term, our union with Jesus. When we are united with Christ, when we abide in him, several things happen. That prepares us to bear fruit. It's the first part of this chapter. Then it prepares us also to face persecution. And it prepares us also to live in hope. And that's the aim. That's the, that's the flow of what we're going to talk about here this morning. And I invite you to abide with him as I abide with him and we, we enter this time. So what does it look like to abide in Jesus and bear fruit? It's a big deal. Pastor Gus introduced us to that last week. I want to reiterate it simply because this is, a, this is such an important concept. This is such an important basis for everything that we're about to face. Abiding in Jesus is, is about our union, and that's a, that's a gospel thing. Did your heart burn in you as, as Pastor Marsh read that passage from, from Marshall earlier in, the, in this, as he shared it with us, the dramatic reading? The gospel was so clear. It was so palpable. And what is it about this, this bearing fruit that comes from a union with Jesus that's so powerful? It's because when we are united with Christ, when we are one with Christ, when we remain in him, when we abide, oh, it makes all the difference in the world. What does abiding look like? Abiding looks like a picture that we're going to put up on the screen here in just a moment. There's many different ways to describe it, but this is what I think of when I think of abiding. This is my daughter. It's me. We both look a little different now. <laughs> Linda had to go into the deep annals of Eurichko history to get this one 25 years ago. <laughs> but, but she's resting. She's abiding. There's a dependency upon me and her mom that, 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 is, that is what Jesus is talking about here, being connected to the vine and the branches, that making her home in us. That's what abiding looks like, as close as we can get in a human form. This little girl is uh, 25 years old now, got married a few months ago. That's a big deal, a lot of change. And one of the biggest changes was that she left her mother and father. Can you believe that? She left her mother and father and became united to her husband. What's up with that? Sort of sounds like scripture, but, but what's happening now is that she abides with her husband Cameron in Gainesville, and they have made their home there. That sense of understanding what it looks like to dwell is a big part of what it means to abide. And fruit comes out of that. It's not, the, it's not the work that comes from that. But like I said, what we're talking about here is union with Jesus prepares us to bear fruit, to face persecution, and to live in hope. So let's continue to unpack that, my friends. I want you to realize that this kind of bearing fruit, this kind of abiding is, is something that we sometimes just gloss over and go, okay, that's good. I, I need Jesus in my heart. But the truth of the gospel is unless we are in him, united in him, in life and in death and resurrection, we miss it. That's the core of the gospel. And I really believe someone's in here or online with us right now who does not know that yet, 
the relationship with Christ. It's the foundation of everything I'm going to talk about. I can't talk about this without you understanding that what happens when we trust Christ, what happens when we repent and believe, is that we are united with him in a fullness of life, in in a death to sin, in a resurrection and a promise of an eternity that's so much more than we could ask or imagine. And so that, I was thinking about it, and I'm realizing what that means is us becoming and and making disciples. Verse 8 in this passage says that's what this is all about. And, And so I thought, you know, I remember a lot of people talking about John 15, this passage we're in, very important to them. And this guy, a guy named Tom Willis, made it important to them. Well, Jesus made it important, but he used Tom. Anybody know Tom? <laughs> I know a few of you do. You used to seeing him uh, play some drums, and uh, and used to seeing him. him uh, he's been part of Northland for 40 years. It was 40 years ago that a friend, somebody at Northland, opened John 15 and read it with him. And they read it again and again and again. And what happened was his life began to change. He began to grow. And then what he did fairly quickly quickly was that he called up a couple of friends and said, let's look at John 15 together. And he started sitting with people and abiding and reading this passage. And he was becoming a disciple who was making disciples. And something was happening that was changing lives. Now there are grandchildren and great-grandchildren, spiritually, of Tom and John chapter 15 and Jesus, who who are part of this worship team, who are part of this congregation, who live and move and have their being halfway across the country or even the world right now because of the influence of this. And so I asked Tom, I said, what's the key, Tom? <laughs> How did that happen? And he said, well, it didn't, it didn't happen smoothly. It took me a long time to realize that Jesus was not saying, I, I want to get inside of your little box. What Jesus was saying is, I've got this vast, expansive box that I want you to get inside of. I want you to become a disciple who follows me. And it's about the grafting. It's about being connected. It's about truly realizing I can't do anything without Jesus. My whole hope is him. And that is huge. And so I I thought about that and I thought, my goodness, there's so many things that must have come out of Tom's study of this passage with, with his friends. What, what could be in there? And I started looking at it, and I ran across this thing from a guy named Bill Hull uh, from the Bonhoeffer Project. He's an author, and he, he essentially elaborates on what you see on the screen right now. If you look closely at John 15, you'll realize that a disciple is someone who is rooted in the word and prayer. Verse 7 tells us that, that if my words remain in you, you can ask anything in my name, and it will be given to you. Um, verse 8 tells us that we're about bearing fruit to the Father's glory. So disciples are about word and prayer. Disciples are people who bear fruit. Disciples of Christ are those who are obedient. Because of God's loving and gracious action, we obey. Um, Joyful. My joy is complete in you, the word tells us in in verse 11. Um, Verses 12 and 13 talk about how greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for his friends. My command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Those are such rich and beautiful pictures of what it means to be a disciple who follows Jesus, right? Now, the big mistake, the big mistake here that we oftentimes do is that we look at this kind of a list and go, okay, hmm, yeah, I want that, but I'm not that. <laughs> Some days, my good days, but not all days. And I love, I love how Pastor Joel spoke to this 25 years or so when he was teaching this passage. Many of you, well, most of you remember Pastor Joel. Guess who's preaching in two weekends? Pastor Joel, very excited to have him back. 
as I was reflecting on this passage, I'm going, I remember when he taught about this. And he did this thing. I'm going to try to do the best I can of his. He got himself sort of rooted up here on the stage. You remember this, Ray Cherie? I see you. Rooted on the stage here, you know, and, and getting excited saying the, the vine and the branches. And what's it like to grow as a Christian? What's it like to bear fruit? Is it, is it okay, I'm, I'm connected to Jesus, but boy, I got I to get some fruit. I need grapes. How are grapes going to happen? Oh, I, I got to gotta, gotta love, got to read the word, got to pray, got to be joyful. Uh, come on, fruit, where are you? Come on. Does that sound fun? No, 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 no. That's not what we're called to do. He'd said, the vine, the branches connected vitally the sun shining above, the rain falling on the branches, and pop, fruit happens. Do you pick it? No, no, no. Leave it on there to ripen, to become mature, to be attached, to be connected. And, and as, as you abide and as you're connected, pop, fruit, pop, pop, all over the place. Fruit happens as a result of being abiding in a connecting kind of person. This is the list I put up there. That's the results, not the actions to get it. The action to get it is the abiding. The result is these kind of things that flow from who Jesus is as he flows through us. If we will be bold enough to trust him for those results, a lot of things can happen, and there's no limit. My friend John Williams, who leads our Celebrate Recovery ministry, is uh, fond of quoting someone, a guy named Bob Buford, who likes to say, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Think about that for a minute. My fruit grows on other people's trees. What's What's it like to let Jesus use you in a way that the fruit happens wherever he wants it to? We're not in control of that. What we have the privilege of doing is this abiding and bearing fruit. And when that happens, disciples happen. And disciples make disciples. And and we see the influence of our testimony, our life, and generations to come. A friend, Dan Hardaway, was telling a few of us the other day, they've been able to track in Indonesia. Now, Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation in the world. But the work of the gospel in Indonesia is spreading, and they're able to track 13 generations of people who have shared their faith with others, who have shared their faith with others, and you see the influence of a life in Christ and a hope and a perspective that that is transforming. What an honor that is to know that your life ripples in the lives of others and that Jesus uses you in that way. So this is the good news. Like this? This is fun. Do you think I've been avoiding to talk about the hatred and persecution? Maybe just a little bit. (laughs) But it's time to go, all right, we don't always live on the mountaintop. We've got to visit the valley every once in a while. And so I've shared the good news. Now let's talk about the harder news before we get to the great news. The arc of this gospel story that I'm sharing with you, this discourse that Jesus is sharing, is a big one. And so as we look at this next part, just realize it's still in the context of abiding. How do we abide when hatred and persecution is the result? Not just joy and happiness. So beginning in verse 18 of chapter 15, again, if you have your Bibles, open up, grab your pencil. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Hate, 
That's your word to circle. You're going to see a few of them here. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, I was encouraged at first because I thought, he said the word if. If. So, so maybe, maybe the world won't hate us all. Maybe it's just some of us. <laughs> if the world hates you. But then he goes on and sort of makes it a little tougher. You know, if you belong to the world... It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Uh, he's minimizing our options here. It's going to happen. Your life lived out abiding in Christ is not going to be all that fun for a lot of people to watch. Remember what I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. There's our union with Christ again. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. Underline that word, name. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, that particular Greek word is used. And it's not just my name is Peter. Most of it is the name of Jesus, the name of God, the identity of our Savior and our hope. And so there's power in the name. That's part of what Jesus is saying here. My name isn't just a name that people are going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to cause this, are you in or are you out? Are you a part of me or not? <clears throat> For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Getting an idea of why it's so tough to be a part of a godless world? Whoever hates me hates my father as well. Jesus is united with the father as he calls us to be united with him. If I had not done among you the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. All right. If you were some of the disciples right now, what would you have been thinking? Oh my goodness, Jesus. I mean, we've been together for three years. We've had a few tough times, but, 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 but now it's time for your victory. You're going you're gonna to be triumphant. We just came into Jerusalem a few days ago for, the, for Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday. People were celebrating you. Why are you talking about all this going away and doom and gloom? You, you're you're going to get a victory, right, Jesus? The disciples were coming face to face with the grief of not only was Jesus saying, I'm going away, but he's also now saying, yeah, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. What, what sobering news to realize that our union with Christ means good things like bearing fruit, but also means challenges like being hated, being persecuted. Think about it for a second. Who hates you right now? Does anybody come to mind? I know this isn't a pleasant thought. I hope you don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. But, but I bet if you do, you realize, when I live my life out loud for Jesus, when I have this abiding joy that, that doesn't make sense in a time like this, when Jesus actually does flow through me because I'm grafted into that vine and his life is flowing through me, brings some irritation to people, doesn't it? brings a conviction of sin, brings a reality that they're, they're living different than you are. But Jesus is making it clear, we don't have the option of returning hate for hate. If you think of someone who's really irritated with you right now, or that, you, that even wants to persecute you in some way, shape, or form, this, this is not easy. Matthew 5, 44 makes it very clear. Our call as believers 
is not to love our neighbor and hate our enemies. Jesus reframed that. He said, no, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This this is a call to abide in Jesus in a world-transforming kind of way. It's, it's, It's not about being the popular kids. You ready to give that up? I mean, it's getting worse and worse these days, isn't it? So much divisiveness in our culture, and even some of us participate in that. Stop that. Your your tweets and your Facebook posts that just rant, that's not of Jesus. I'm sorry. Part of the challenge of being a believer is to be right and not hurt people with it. That's something that Dallas Willard said years ago that has always stuck with me. Come on, guys. Come on, gals. We, We have the truth. That doesn't give us the permission to beat people over the head with it. Live out loud for Jesus and watch what happens. We are not to intentionally make people hate us, not to intentionally be jerks. This is not about trying to create stereotypes. Our privilege is to live a life that becomes the gospel. So listen, I I, I realize um, this is tough, maybe tough for you as it is for me. You know, I've got a problem. I've got many of them, but let me just tell you about one of them. I like to be liked. I I like it when people like me. I mean, I really want you to like this sermon. I want you to like, I don't know, a lot of things about me. Anybody else? You got a few of you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that can be called people-pleasing. Might be called codependency. We've got groups for that. I've gone to groups for that. Listen, it's tough because this is not the kind of call that makes life easy. Now, I realize there's some of you in this room that don't have the problem of wanting people to like you. You're perfectly happy ticking people off all the time. you got a different problem than I've got. The call is to be the one who lets Jesus flow through us and not on either end of that spectrum. Because the reality is there is a difference between us and them, and it's not about divisiveness. This is just about realizing what the, what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that one who does not know Jesus is dead in their transgressions. And those of us who have trusted Christ and repented of our own ways, we are alive in Christ. We're alive. Others are dead. Why in the world would we expect them to rise up and call us blessed? (laughs) Why in the world would we expect them to behave the way that we do? Jesus is saying, don't be surprised by this. So the point of abiding is not just to bear fruit. The point of abiding is to be able to endure persecution so that we can reframe what's going on. And the reframing is key. Reframing allows us to see things through their eyes and see things through Jesus' eyes and be used of God in their lives. So there is still good and bad news to come. So let me transition. I empathize with the disciples at this point in time because they're hearing Jesus say, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. Abide in me and you'll be able to face and endure this persecution. He's about to say, abide in me and there'll be hope through the Holy Spirit. But but you got to wonder, are the disciples getting it? I mean, Jesus is about to bet the farm on on these 11 guys being able to carry out what, what he's sharing with them. If I were Jesus, I'd be a little worried. Obviously, he wasn't. <laughs> but, but, but what do you think about that? Well, he's about to tell them, the most important thing is that you've been with me. And I'll continue to be with you. Let me show you how. 
So if you have your scripture, go ahead and take a look. Starting in verse 28, 26, I'm sorry, 26 of John 15. We're going to read through uh, chapter 16, verse 4. The words are up on the screen as well. Jesus says, when the advocate comes, he introduced this in the last chapter with the Holy Spirit, when the advocate, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, spirit of truth we see here, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. Again, Pastor John talked about the Trinity a couple weeks ago. We see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit right here in these passages. Our God, three persons, one God. When I send, when I When the advocate comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Now, that's moving into the next passage. Sorry, I read a little bit too far. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus has already talked about how my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. That was a chapter ago. So peace is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. What he's saying in this passage is my hope comes with the spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit as well. We live in hope when we live in the Holy Spirit. And a big part of this is Jesus saying they they weren't getting it. (laughs) They weren't getting it yet. We find that out later. But what he was saying is essentially what's been powerful about these three years together is that you have been with me. And what's powerful about what's to come is that you will still be with me. I will be with you. The spirit that I send, my spirit from the Father in me, will be with you. You will not be alone. This is huge because that withness was the foundation of so many important things. And he says testify in here. What he's talking about is how their withness with him was the foundation of their witness. What they were called to testify, telling the story of what Jesus has done in their lives, something we're called to do as well, that flows from our witness fuels our witness. It's it's sort of like Robert Coleman said in the Master Plan of Evangelism. He talks about how this association of the disciples with Jesus was was important, but they, they didn't always get it. It says, he says, for the disciples, knowledge was gained by association, time with Jesus, before it was understood by explanation. Even though we spend time with Jesus, we don't always get it, do we? It takes time to figure it out. Let me talk to you, let me give you this illustration. When, when you're told to walk by faith, what does it look like to walk by faith? Taking a step. You can't walk by faith without walking. You move into that, the trust, the faith in Jesus. What do we do with hope? How do you move into hope? How do you live a life of hope? You speak what you know to be true. You testify. You say the words. You enter into that. That's your, and when you you speak to what you've seen already, God fills you with what you don't know yet and what you haven't seen yet. 
and we're able to testify to the goodness, to the power, to all that he has for us. So abiding bears fruit. Abiding endures persecution. Abiding life in the Holy Spirit with hope. Such richness, such goodness. These kind of things are what we live for as believers. Now, how do we live that out? As I close this message, I, I want to tell you a story about somebody that, um, that many of you don't know, but there's a couple in this room who I think do. And so um, it's maybe a harder story to tell than, than, uh, than I expected. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because when I think about what it's like to, to abide in Christ, uh, a certain person comes to mind who lived out this so well years ago that it impacted me deeply. And his name is Jeff, a guy named Jeff Testa. Jeff, uh, Jeff was a part of our singles ministry here about 20 some odd years ago. Jeff was awesome. <laughs> Jeff was this handsome guy, strapping man, big arms, big shoulders. My goodness, a little bit of time in the gym. His biceps, my thighs. Just picture it. <laughs> I'm not lying. And just, just a strapping great guy. And even more so, he loved Jesus, and he lived life out loud for Jesus and was just making such a difference in, in our singles ministry and beyond. And, and as is the case that oftentimes happens with people like that, um, you know, they, their worship is a big part of that. And Avalon, the group Avalon, came out with a song around that time, Testify to Love. Remember the song, Testify to Love? Encouraging song. Google it um, or, or look it up if you haven't listened to it before. And, and, you know, this guy named Jeff Testa decided that Testify to Love was going to be his theme song. Not just because it's a good song, but it's, we would say testify. He said testify. And he would testify. And it was awesome. It was so good. And, and, that kind, of, that kind of thing, he just had a lot of people around him. Dear young lady named Marianne, they started dating, got married. They were just the darlings of, of the singles group at that particular point in time. And, and it was because of this influence of abiding in Christ and being followers and serving Jesus however he led. And then, much to our surprise and without any understanding, just a couple of months into their marriage, uh, Jeff had a heart attack. Cardiac arrest died in his bathroom, just, just on the spot. It was devastating. I mean, we could not understand. God, God, why? This does not make sense. And, and so much of what we grieved about at that time was just what, what is going on? And yet at the same time, I tell you this story right now, and I share it with you because... <laughs> I can't read the word testify in scripture without thinking of Jeff Testa. 20 years later, I stumble upon these words in the Bible and I go, I go, I remember how much Jeff would testify. I remember how much his story meant to all of us. And, and I want to testify because of the influence he's had upon me. And, and that hasn't ended 20 years later. I'm thinking, what in the world is that? It's abiding in Jesus. It's letting him bear fruit through you. It's letting him be the one who carries you through the persecution and the hate. Who fills you with his Holy Spirit for every good work and for hope and for life and 
regardless of the circumstances you're in right now. As we sing this song, I just want to invite you to receive this song. Sing along, but let the Holy Spirit encounter you. Feel him. Trust him. Let him fill you in this time. Connect. Abide. Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit for us now.